I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I'm Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually uh, born in Nigeria. I'm the last of four children. Okay. It's interesting. My siblings were actually born in the States, mm-hmm. uh, in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my father, who is a math professor, took mm-hmm. a position at the University of Joss. And, uh, we were living there, and I was born. Mm-hmm. And I came to the States probably around three, three and a half years mm-hmm. old. Okay. Um, I grew up in Maryland, went to University of Maryland, I'm a Terrapin. Nice. <laughs> and um, from there, went to the uh, Virginia Commonwealth University for medical school, mm-hmm. SUNY Downstate uh, in Brooklyn, New York for anesthesia residency, mm-hmm. critical care here in Houston, which is what brought me to Houston. Okay. And uh, since then, I've spent time in private practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, in academic, there's been some move shifting, but I think along the way, thank God, things have been revealed to us and we feel Houston is home. Although our families are in the Northeast, my wife is also an anesthesiologist. She's oh, a cool. pediatric anesthesiologist. Whoa. So she works, she works here at MD Anderson as well. Awesome. But she's from New York. So okay. our families are back there, mm. but uh, we, we, Houston is home to yeah. us now. Yeah. And when you said critical care, is that critical care anesthesia or like normal medicine? The track is critical care through okay. anesthesia. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, uh, and the anesthesia residency, as you know, is four years. Yeah. And then critical care, if you go through anesthesia, is just one year. Okay. It's a one-year ship. So mm. when I finished my training, I spent one additional year at mm. UT Houston okay. doing critical care. And mm. part of my fellowship or part of the time during that year I spent at MD Anderson, which is how I got to know the faculty Mm -hmm. and the people here. And I've just always been connected to the institution since. Cool. What do you love about your work? Like why, why anesthesia? Why, um, aside from talking to me, what gets you out of bed in the morning? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, uh, lessons about life, about vulnerability, about faith, about spirituality, about strength, perseverance, about conflict sometimes. Um, I think working both in the operating room and uh, also having experiences in critical care, they're very different environments. In the operating room, most people walk into the hospital. Most procedures tend to be elective. Um, The intent is that things end well. What people perceive as a good outcome is that you get through surgery or whatever procedure you're having. In the ICU, the dynamic is very different. Expectation goals change daily, hourly, by the minute, depending on patient situation. And sometimes you find yourself not offering healing through intervention, but offering healing through support and prayer and walking side by side with patients. And I think that's where my energy comes from. That's what wakes me up that, you know, I drink coffee like most people (laughs) every morning (laughs) to get going. But somehow when I get in front of a patient, I'm, I'm up, I'm there, I'm present. And, um, I don't see that ever changing. Uh, that's awesome. Have you done any overseas work lately? Because what you just described to me, um, this sounds like the role of, of somewhere like Kajabi. I mean, when you when an anesthesiologist walks in here, 
They're they're yes. everywhere. They're in the operating room. Yeah. They're in they're in the ICU. They're in the emergency department if something goes strange. Yes. Like they're just all over the place. So that's a it's a great question. Uh, I I guess compared to a lot of the other people mm. involved with this project, I'm fairly new to it okay. in that regard. And I'll tell you that story. So I'm coming back to MD Anderson. I kind of uh, pivoted in terms of focus mm-hmm. and there was just something in me and it's always been with me to be honest because I have either relatives or people I know who were Nigerian mm-hmm. and you know they initially came here as immigrants just for mm-hmm. training with the intent of going back in fact my father came to the states uh, for postgraduate training, but uh, essentially never returned to Nigeria permanently. So I've understood that there's always been this void, not just in Nigeria, but across mm-hmm. the continent in terms of people who receive opportunities overseas, whether in the States or other parts of the world, and they just never return. Yeah. And the investment, uh, it's almost like it's it's a resource that's being taken away. And mm-hmm. At the very least, I, mean, I would say historically, you know, people typically don't go back to even plant seeds, you know, seeds to grow, whether that's mm-hmm. centers. And I think people are, are realizing this over time. Mm-hmm. And that itch, I've always had that itch to be involved in that type of work. So that's where the conversation started. Mm-hmm. Um, I was initially looking to do things in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And I was working with some of my colleagues here at MD Anderson mm-hmm. uh, to start projects. Initially, I wanted to do like a, a symposium just to kind of start a relationship. And we were looking for hospitals in Nigeria mm-hmm. uh, or teaching hospitals to connect with. Mm-hmm. And then um, I connected with HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, and HBO uh, has a site in Ghana, in, mm-hmm. uh, in Kumasi, Ghana. And we, my wife and I, were actually set up to go to CAF mm-hmm. this past April for a two-week trip. She was going to teach, do some, uh, well, help with some pediatric yeah. uh, anesthesia education. And I was going to do, introduce a fundamentals and critical care support course. Mm-hmm. Because uh, critical care mortality is extremely high across the, the continent. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is one thing that is very clear. And uh, the contact I had there was very concerned about obstetric mortality and the availability of resources, ventilators. So I worked with, uh, uh, you know, I happened to work with Louis Pisters, mm-hmm. Dr. Louis Pisters, mm-hmm. who's a urologist at MD mm-hmm. Anderson. Mm-hmm. And he's involved in PACS. Yeah. And he said, you know, um, I'm involved in this great organization. And uh, I am also, a, you know, a person of strong faith and conviction. And he invited me to a gathering where I got to learn more about PACS. And at that time, I learned that there was also an anesthesia task force. Yeah. And I said, that is absolutely amazing. It was Everything about the project kind of aligns with my personal goals and how I see myself. Uh, It brings my faith. Mm -hmm. It aligns my faith. It aligns my practice. And it aligns my overall internal, this this feeling, this urge to Mm -hmm. help and to start doing uh, more global outreach. And Mm -hmm. the timing couldn't be better. 
and I have support academically mm-hmm. uh, from my institution to do this. So that's how I got involved. Long story, awesome. but uh, I'm extremely excited because at the center of it is is God and mm-hmm. uh, my love for Christ and the fact that through medicine, as I've mentioned before, I've affirmed the idea that only God can perform miracles and we are we are tools that mm-hmm. he has put here to mm-hmm. to carry out um his will and to be blessings upon others um you know blessed to be a blessing in a sense mm-hmm. and that's how i practice and mm-hmm. that's how i see this project mm-hmm. and everything that I've come to understand about uh, Kajabi. Mm. Uh, that's my understanding of mm. the center, of the people mm. there, of you, mm. um, of your work. And uh, uh, so I'm just excited and I'm so very thankful and grateful. Man, that's awesome. Have you ever, have you ever heard of Howard Thurman? The He's name been, sounds familiar. He was Martin Luther King's like spiritual mentor. Just Yes, um, um, yes that's how I yeah. I, I've just went down the rabbit trail this weekend and I and ended up with a book of his sermons that I got on Amazon for a dollar. <laughs> it's the best dollar I'll ever spend. But he's he's got this amazing passage about medicine as ministry. And it reminds me of what you just said. Um, but it's essentially he you know, kind of goes through this whole whole passage and then ends up with this statement like every every hospital Every clinic, every consultation mm-hmm. room should be an altar for the burning heart of God. How cool is that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, that is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. You can almost draw a parallel to this pandemic, mm-hmm. um, this COVID-19 pandemic, in the sense that you see how limited our understanding mm-hmm. of the human body and mm-hmm. And where is this virus coming from? And all mm-hmm. these researchers, all these resources mm-hmm. are focused on one thing, yeah. right? And it's it's human will mm-hmm. that we are going to control this. Mm-hmm. And every day we are also reminded it is not in our control. That there's only one person that's in control of all of this. Mm-hmm. And these are the same interactions that happen uh, on a daily basis in the hospital. And when it comes to cancer care, you more so realize it because people often want to treat the numbers and treat, you know, if they see a CT scan, I have to fix this. That's the human Mm -hmm. instinct. Mm -hmm. And you learn how limited you are in the sense that you could do everything and Mm -hmm. not to change the outcome. You could do nothing and the outcome can be favorable for the patient and it's because god is in the center of it he has a master plan Mm -hmm. you have to step back realize your place that you are just a tool Mm -hmm. you know you cannot fix the situation you just have to trust god Mm -hmm. and that's why i bring spirituality and i bring faith and um and and you know i i MD Anderson is obviously it's it's not known as per se a Christian institution, mm-hmm. but I always ask people, you know, are you a person of faith? Mm-hmm. And regardless of their background, I think most other uh, religions or people who even just simply can consider themselves as being spiritual, mm-hmm. they're open to prayer, and yeah. prayer is universal for everyone. I think. Yeah. 
uh, I still pray for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know my father, but I still pray for them. I don't know. I, I, I really love that aspect of, of, mm, that's of medicine. Yeah. That's amazing. At some point, well, if we get if we get you over here, you'll definitely meet Jack Barasa, our head of surgery. He he says a similar thing whenever you talk to him. He says this is God's hospital about Kajabi. And so I asked him recently, like, "What do you mean when you say God's? It was God's hospital?" And it's very similar to what you did. He's like, "We we do these things, and somehow a patient gets better, or we do the exact right thing, and." You know, and they don't get better, or we make a mistake, and somehow they walk out the door three days later. And exactly. it says very clear that we are not the ones in control of the yes. situation. Yeah, you know, we're stewards, and we do the best we can. <laughs> My wife had this awesome mentor in Alabama yes. who, when she was in a residency, she had like this really, really low, mm-hmm. low moments. And her program, yes. her program director called her into her office, and she said, Ariana. You need to trust God. And she she said, you do not hold the keys to life and death. A patient can walk in the door and they can walk out even if you do everything wrong. This is ultimately not about you. And that's that's the big challenge of what you guys do in medicine is Mm -hmm. how to work with all your skill and all your power, yet Mm -hmm. know your limitations and and be at peace with that at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, 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 absolutely. That's actually more than I think about these things every day. You know, I, I kind of reflect on the day and the lessons learned. And yeah. um, I realize that even for me, as I'm caring for patients in stressful situations, that he's also my quiet in the middle of the storm. Mm-hmm. So I can only trust him. Mm-hmm. Give me the thoughts. Yeah. Uh, give me wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, understanding. Yeah. Uh, compassion and mm. it just made me a better person so what do you say and I, I know it's different for every situation but like what do you say mm-hmm. to a, what do you say to a family member you're in ICU and you've got a patient who's not doing well like how does it go like what's running through your head as you're talking to them and what are you trying to convey to them it's tricky and a lot of it um, it, it depends on where their background. It depends on their knowledge of medicine mm-hmm. as well. It depends on the conversations they've had prior to the moment. Uh, in critical care, you know, you you tend to have limited access to the patient's perspective. Mm-hmm. That's either because people are too ill to communicate mm-hmm. uh, in most cases, or they're on mechanical ventilation and they have a breathing tube. And they just can't talk. Uh, so then you have to rely on surrogates. Sometimes there can be social issues. I take a few days. When um, when a patient isn't doing how I would expect, I take a few days to try to understand the situation. Mm-hmm. Rarely do I jump in and give a perspective because I also... Um, want the family to understand or the caregivers or the people in, uh, you know, supporting uh, the patient to understand that uh, I'm taking, I'm taking my time to reflect, mm-hmm. comb through things and make sure that we've explored all the options. From there, I, I ensure and through communication, uh, bedside, 
uh, manner. I try to show that I am there uh, to support them in any way that I can, whether that's moving around hospital resources and so forth. And I also remain objective about the, the data points. This is what this shows. This is where we are. This is where we were yesterday. Uh, we're taking it one day at a time. Today, this is what it shows. Your loved one, meaning the patient, doesn't have control of the situation. Mm-hmm. I don't have control of the situation, and you don't have control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So we must take it one day at a time, at a time mm-hmm. using God-given tools every mm-hmm. single day to apply. Mm-hmm. And he will show and he will reveal to us how, you know, your loved one responds. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, the tool that we have is the most powerful one is prayer. Mm-hmm. And I tend to remind people and I pray with them and I offer, uh, we have a hospital chaplain here and I support uh, for families if they're awake mm-hmm. and able to participate. Sometimes in situations when there is no family around, mm-hmm. uh, we still uh, bring our chaplains in to pray and we pray with our patients. So, uh, or at least I do. I can only speak yeah. for myself. Yeah. But that's typically the approach. And I think I've seen a difference. I've seen uh, from when I first started practicing and, and over the years to now, because I think people, they trust you more. They understand that you can't fix the situation mm-hmm. and they know that you're on your side, you're on their side. It also reminds them that in the middle of all storms, mm-hmm. you must stand firm and rest in your faith in God and in Christ. People, he'll, he'll help see you through mm-hmm. all challenges. So I don't, I don't have to go too far to know how blessed I am mm-hmm. in a cancer hospital. Mm-hmm. Every day I'm reminded. Uh, so that's typically how it goes. Sorry, I'm so uh, no, long-winded with my answers, but it's no, that's it's, fantastic. It's, um, it's a it's a it's a topic that really hits home. Yeah, um, and I spend a lot of time in this area because of how important it is to me. Man, that was an amazing answer. Actually, I love it because that is one of my other goals. Is always when I'm doing these things, like what what is a universal concept? You know, what's um, beyond like yeah, we're trying to put this program together, but what is something that anybody that would read it or come across? What's something that they would connect to with on a personal level and could be beneficial to if they're medical, um, you know, do medical work? But I think it applies to any. It applies to any area of our lives. Man, this is awesome. I want to be conscious of your time, but anything else um, yes. Anything else you'd like to uh, throw out in closing? Uh, I would just like to say that uh, I think it's exciting uh, to be involved in something like this. Uh, my hope for this project is that it expands, mm-hmm. and it expands uh, on God's time, yep. meaning that with his timing, mm-hmm. uh but it expands to different parts of because the need mm. is there um, and the need is just not in anesthesia but it's mm. in emergency medicine it's mm. in surgery it's mm. in there's so many specialties and there's mm. so much expertise and you have people there uh, who want the knowledge who want the help who need the resource and uh, you know uh, you also have people who unfortunately dying from very preventable illnesses, diseases. And we want to use God's given tools to help. 
Mm. And those tools are knowledge. Mm. Those tools are prayer. That's the mm. best one in the box. Mm. Um, uh, community support, uh, the resources we can pull together uh, from our institutions, from the United States. And, of course, um, the great resource in having the Christian community at the soul of all of this. Mm. I think um, that unites us. That will keep us united, and um, I'm very excited about the future. Kunle, this is fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank awesome. you so much. 